Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. I'm going to ask you today, if you will, to join me in the book of John, chapter 6 and verse 44. Now, we just need somewhere to start. And so we're going to go to John 6 and 44. And um, I hope that you're more concerned about the start than you are the stop this morning because there's just a good presence of God. And I believe that he wants to do something in our heart and life. And uh, for several weeks or a few weeks at least, the Lord has really dealt with me about what I want to preach this morning. And I feel like that he confirmed that multiple times already since I've been at church. So let's just really avail ourselves to his presence. Would you do that? The Bible says in John 6 and 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at at the last day. No man. Can you say that's me? No man can come. Except the Father which sent me draw him. These are the words of Jesus. It's emphatically putting a baseline or a benchmark that this is where it begins. There must be a drawing of the presence and the power of God. Amen. And I want to speak today on this subject that we must be drawn. We must be drawn. Amen. Would you just pray with me over the word of the Lord? I love you today. I know that your word is anointed. And so it is not your word that we question. But I'm asking you today, God, that you would just allow this word to come into our heart. So I pray for the soil of our heart today. That you would help us to receive the word. Because the issue will never be with a seed but I pray, God, that our heart will be the right soil. And I pray for me today, task, Lord, with delivering this word, that you would let my mind be anointed and my heart be tender and let my feet stand firm, O Lord, and let my lips be anointed of you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I sure feel something very significant in the Holy Ghost today. On November the 6th, Just a few weeks ago, um, Brother Larry Newburn Sr. spoke at our daughter working Chiefland Lights for Christ. And his message that night, the title of his message was The One Thing That God Cannot Do For You. Of course, that one thing that he was preaching about a few Sunday nights ago was the act of repentance. And that God cannot repent for somebody else. Amen. We have to do that ourselves. That falls on us. 
And it is left up to the individual. The Spirit of the Lord can do many things in our lives to get our attention and to woo us, if you please. But it all comes down to a decision and the will of an individual that we have to make that last and final step. And that is going to be left up to you and I. That message stuck in my mind from that night until this very moment. And so if I make you glad today, I want all the credit. But if I make you mad, we're going to just shift that right over to him. And uh, he should have never started this fire. And uh, we can, we'll just let you all meet. You can meet in the annex after church. He didn't stir me because it was the first time I'd ever heard this or thought about that. But it was just the presentation, the seasoning, the anointing, the presence of God that was there in that moment. It just molded that to the place in my heart where it needed to, to be. And, and I, I realized this morning that this can be a very delicate subject. Where I am going is, could be a very delicate subject. It's delicate because no one should be left with the impression that repentance is something that we can do on our own terms or that we can do in our own time. That we can dictate the ebb and the flow of the Spirit of God in our lives. Amen? So while Acts 17 and 30 speaks about God commanding repentance, there is a command to repent, of course. Twice in Luke chapter 13, we are commanded to repent lest we all should likewise perish. So there is a command to repentance. There is an underlining law of repentance. So I, I'm not here to try to chip away the foundation of the importance of repentance and, and the part that repentance plays in our ultimate salvation. In Revelation 2 and 5, John, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. And repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove the candlestick out of his place except thou repent. And so again, there is that countersinking principle that repentance is imperative in our relationship with God. I, I obviously think that repentance is very important in the initial step of us coming to God. But how many believers in this house understand that we can't just repent one time and then we just kind of leave that alone with that's forever etched off of our things to do list. But Paul said that we die daily, that we we repent. I don't want to I don't want to wait till the end of the day to the setting of the sun. If I have stepped out of line at noonday, I want to repent right there. I want the Lord to know that I live in a state of repentance. So we can see that repentance is necessary to be in right relationship with God. However, there is something very important for us to consider when we think about the act of repentance. There are multiple references in scripture that underline the fact that it is the spirit that draws man to God. It is God that's gonna woo man. This is not our world, it's God's world. We just live in it. Amen, this is, it is God's world. And so people can be left with a false impression that you can just live like you wanna live. You can live any way that you wanna live. And then when you're ready on your terms that you will come, surrender your heart and life to God 
And as some may say, all's well that ends well. Many people think, why would you spend your youth serving God? You need to serve God after you've already spent up your youth and after you've already given many things over to the enemy. And then, then when you're too old to have fun, come serve God. If that's how you feel, you're a part of the wrong church. Amen. You're a part of the wrong church. I'm afraid this is not how this works. We must never forget that the will of the Spirit, it is the will of the Spirit that draws man to God. The will of the Spirit. It is not the will of man that draws man to God. It is the will of the Spirit. There are many people today that live with a mindset that that what we need to do, I've heard this, so I'm, I'm not pulling this out of my hat. I've heard people say, you know, what I need to do is just be careful. I'm just not gonna blaspheme against the Holy Ghost because that is the unpardonable sin. So we've got blasphemy over here in a box by itself, in a pedestal all by itself. And as long as I stay away from that one thing, that unpardonable sin, then I can kind of do everything else that I want around this. It's kind of like it's, you know, not touching the, the tree of life in the garden. As long as I can do anything else I want to do, but if, as long as I don't go there, as long as I don't touch that, that unpardonable sin, that unforgivable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. This word or the idea of this is mentioned in Matthew 12. And it is also mentioned again in Mark 3. In Mark 3, 28, Mark says, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of, unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. And so he lays out that there is this blasphemy that there is forgiveness of sin for, but then he gives one exception. In verse 29, he says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Amen. I'm gonna just say something today that would seem overtly obvious, but when the scripture starts saying things like never forgiveness, in danger of eternal damnation, I want you to know that God has my undivided attention. If we're talking about something that can never be forgiven and if we're talking about something that can lead me to eternal damnation, then I want to give God my undivided attention. In Matthew 12, if we can maybe give a little context to this conversation, Jesus warned the Pharisees about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Amen, so then what is blasphemy? What are, what are we talking about? Matthew 12, if you begin about verse 22 and you study down or read down through about verse 30, it gives the background or the reason for this statement. Jesus had healed a man, a man that had been possessed by a demon. He had set him free. And the people that witnessed this miracle realized that this was evidence in verse 23 that Jesus must be the Messiah. And so in order to put that fire out, the, the Pharisees, they had to do something to discredit. They had to do something to discredit Jesus. The Pharisees falsely then accused him of healing that man. They didn't deny the man was healed 
are delivered. But they said he has not done this by the spirit of God, but he has done this by the spirit of Satan or Beelzebub is what the scripture says. And so in verse 31, the Greek word translated as blasphemy means to vilify or or to rail against or to speak evil against. And so here are the Pharisees completely ignoring the fact that somebody's been delivered. Their greater mission is we've got to discredit the Son of God. I mean, you see, and then in Mark 7 and verses 21, 22 and 23, Jesus said that the sin of blasphemy, he said, here's where it comes from. The wellspring of, of blasphemy came from the depths of an evil heart. That's where it's all born. There is where it comes from. There is its root. And so blasphemy is one thing, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, according to the scripture, that's a whole nother thing. That's taking something to a completely different level. In Matthew 12 and 32, Jesus repeats this thought, stating that anyone who speaks against, uh, speaks a word against the Son of Man can be forgiven. I want to explain that if I may. We can see that in verse 32. I'll read that. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, think about this, nor the world to come. There is a blasphemy that there's forgiveness for, but there is a blasphemy that there is no coming back from. And so it's important again for us to keep this in context. So in a very literal fashion, we want to just go back to the word of God and realize that Jesus did not really Jesus, the man Jesus, born in Bethlehem's manger, grew up as a carpenter's son. The man Jesus did not really appear to be any different than just any other Jewish man. Isaiah 53 and 2 speaks about this coming Messiah as being a very common human representation. If you read Isaiah 53 and 2, you're going to find this, that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. That's what Isaiah said. Isaiah went on to say that he would have no form or he would have no comeliness. And when we see him, Isaiah said, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he's just another day, another, an everyday man, just a, another man walking down the sidewalk. If you see pictures or ever have been in a crowd, just a mass of people, in time, everybody just blends in. I mean, somebody's got to do something pretty extraordinary to stand out in a massive crowd. And so that is what Isaiah is talking about. This coming Messiah, if you see him, he's just going to be like anybody else. He's just going to be a root that springs up out of dry ground. No form, nothing extraordinary, no comeliness, no beauty. I don't, I'm not inferring that he was an ugly man, but I'm just saying he was a common man. And so there would be nothing to denote him walking down the road as being the Messiah or the Son of God. So given this backdrop, given that the Messiah is just going to be a common Jewish man, at least common looking Jewish man, it would be easy for people in that day to mistake the man Jesus and speak against him in innocent ignorance. And so that's why Jesus said that if you speak against the son of man, that there could be forgiveness for that. 
because you may do that inadvertently, accidentally. No doubt many people in their ignorance initially rejected Jesus Christ. But I'm gonna tell you, there were some who had an encounter with him and maybe even had family members that were scoffers and mockers and and, uh, when they were trying to press and probe the mother and the father of the blind man. Amen, when they were trying to press him, when they were trying to press he that was healed, He said, I don't really have an answer for all that. I can't give you all that you're asking me, but I can give you one baseline. This morning, I woke up blind, amen, and now I see. There is just one thing. I believe that there could have been some innocent scoffers in his family, in his friends list that, you know, said, I don't know. He's just an ordinary looking guy. I don't know why he's claiming to be who he is, but I'll tell you one thing. And the other day, I know that my cousin was blind. I know my brother was blind. I know my uncle was blind. I don't know. I may have mocked him. I may have scoffed in the beginning, but I'm beginning to believe the scales are from my eyes and I see that maybe this man, Jesus, is the Messiah that we've been talking about. Hallelujah. Amen. So no doubt many could have innocently rejected him, but when the Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost and filled that upper room where they had gathered, amen, the Spirit of God began to move, and when they realized that that Jesus is alive, amen, to reject that witness, amen, to reject now that you know that you know, amen, that was that final consequence. The only consequence now is going to be judgment. The Holy Spirit is the power of God and that is how God works to accomplish his will. It is the wooing of his presence and power. I'm gonna tell you, if you have felt anything in this service today, it hasn't been anything that's come from us. Amen, it hasn't been one thing that we've offered. We have given our best, amen, to the Lord by way of prayer and organization and song amen and praise and worship but if you have felt anything stirring in your heart it's not been anything we sprayed in the air conditioned duct no it's not been anything that we tried to put in the air but it is the spirit of God because we come in this house with one thing in mind that if God doesn't do anything today nothing's going to be done if God doesn't show up this is just going to be a gathering if God's spirit doesn't come into this house amen we're going to come in and enjoy a little fellowship but we're going to leave unchanged and unchallenged and so that's why I don't think I was alone this morning before daylight when I was knelt down and praying God in just a few hours we're going to start a service oh Lord we need you to move amen I want this person to come we want the Jones to be here and the Smiths to be here and all points in between but oh God what we really want is for you to be here we need your anointing We need your spirit. We need your power because we understand one thing, that if anybody is moved today, we must be drawn by the spirit of Almighty God. Amen. So if we begin to, if the spirits or since the spirit is how God accomplishes his will on earth to reject his spirit, we are rejecting his identity. Amen. We're rejecting his power, his work, and his nature. 
So my subject today is not really on the subject of blasphemy, but I'm just trying to underline a few things to make this point. And that point is this, is that too many times people, and especially people that have a little bit of spiritual, biblical knowledge, stroll through life thinking that all they must not do to maintain this redeemable position is to not blaspheme or deny the Spirit of God. Amen. You may be seated. But it is still true. I can just live any old way I want to live. And as long as I don't touch this, everything will be all right. That way, when I get ready to serve the Lord, all I have to do is just come walking back through the church doors. And I don't want you to think that I'm preaching against redemption today. Nothing could be further from the truth. Amen. But there are some things that we need to biblically consider in addition to blasphemy. Some of those things to consider can be found in Romans 1. I'm not going to take the time to read all of these scriptures today, but I just want to hit the high points of a few. Verse number 21 in Romans 1, the Bible says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Oh, I know he's God, but I don't acknowledge him as God. I'm just going to kind of shut that off for a moment. I'm going to compartmentalize this, and I want to do what I want to do right now. And when I get time, when it's a more convenient season, then I'll make room for God. But the Bible says that their foolish heart became darkened. Verse 24 says, Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through, through the lust of their own hearts. And then verse 25 talks about that they changed the truth of God into a lie. Do you see how this thing starts sliding off the hill and once you make that crest, it's nowhere but down from here. Amen. For this cause, verse 26, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemingly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat and verse 28 and even when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient so I hope what we are able to see is the fall of man amen here is someone who has not blasphemed here is someone who has never charged God foolishly but their affections were in the wrong world amen Amen. They hooked their they hooked their heart and their wagon to the wrong star. Amen. Romans one is a very frightening passage of scripture. If you ask me, in Romans, in Romans, Paul was primarily addressing men and women that were just so caught up in pleasing their flesh. And I know that to some this morning, if not most, when we think about the writings and the and the end result of Romans one, we are repulsed by that kind of life and lifestyle. Amen. Romans 1, Paul is addressing people that are just so caught up that they want to please their flesh until they're all, all, the, all the bars are taken down, all the fence lines are removed. However, this same writer will later address a different church. Amen. But it's for the same reason and the end result is going to be the same. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10. And the Bible says, 
says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not a love for the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God, amen, this cause God, the same God of Genesis 1, amen, the same God of Genesis 1 and 1, the same God that said, let there be and there was, is the same God that said, I will send you strong delusion that you should believe a lie. You say, oh, that just sounds so horrible. How could this God, Brother Osmer was talking about this this morning, how can this God that is so full of grace and so full of love and so full of mercy do something like that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he's also a God of judgment. Amen. He's also a God that enough is enough. He's also a God, amen, that will not allow us to just continue to violate his word without it eventually affecting our heart and our thought processes. Amen. Amen. I understand that wedding proposals or marriage proposals can be go both ways. I get that. But for the most part in our culture, it is the man that asks for a, a lady to marry him. Am I right? Except for two or three here on the front. <laughs> for the most part, that seems to be the, the culture. I'm not saying it has to be that way. Just saying that, it, that that's kind of the, the way it is. But I will just tell you this, that you're not going to keep asking. After a while, a light's going to come on. And you're going to realize there's other fish in the sea. You're going to realize if you don't want me, somebody out there right now wants me. Amen. They're not going to be born sometime tomorrow and raised up to like me. There's somebody right now that if they just cross paths, it would just be one wink and this would be done. Amen. I don't know if you guys are sitting too close to your companion to have the courage to amen me right now. God give these men a little courage this morning. Amen, I'm gonna tell you that we would, we would somewhere have just bowed up in our heart and squared our shoulders and said, young lady, if you don't think I'm good enough for you, then I'm moving on and they're gonna move on and you're gonna be all alone. I'm not trying to put God on our level or us on God's level, but I'm just telling you that if we think for any reason in our mind that God is so desperate that he's just gonna put up with anything, anything he can do to get a bride, no sir. He said, if you won't, praise me the rocks and the mountains will cry out and praise me amen if you won't live for me if you won't serve me then there'll be somebody that will serve me praise the Lord amen brother brother Newbern mentioned this brother Larry Newbern mentioned this in our prayer request and I was praying this very thing I've been praying it for, for many many years but I was praying it specifically this morning I knelt down and began to pray over our prodigals list or my prodigals list and I said Lord as much as I want these prodigals to come home as bad as I want them to come back through these doors or, or go through the doors of an apostolic church somewhere and find you again I'm asking you oh God not let me get my attention so caught up 
up in them. Amen. Because there comes a point. I know what I'm preaching is not popular today, but there comes a point that we're casting our pearls before the swine. And I'm going to tell you that what we're preaching today, amen, this has got too much value. This has got too much value for me to cast the pearl before the swine. And so if they don't want it, Lord, I'm saying, God, sober up a drunk man somewhere. I'm saying, sober up a drunk woman somewhere. I'm saying, oh God, get a hold of the heart of somebody. Oh, why? Why? Because we need the Spirit of God to draw us. We need His Spirit to draw us. Oh, 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 mighty God. Oh, mighty God. Oh, mighty God. Oh, mighty God. Mm. And so with this, so with this, I submit two types of people found in these passages. Some who will cast in everything to please their flesh. It doesn't matter. I mean, they can't, it can't get loud enough. It can't get bold enough. I got to do whatever it takes to gratify my flesh. And I'm going to tell you, you may think your world's removed from what I'm preaching this morning, but let me tell you, if you could see the veiled thin line there is between saved and lost today, we wouldn't walk out of here with a toothpick in our mouth thinking another day, another time, another season. No, sir. We wouldn't be walking that way. We'd be running this way and saying, God, I need your spirit to touch me and pass by me one more time. Pass by me one more time. Amen. The second category of people found in these passages of scripture are those who just refuse to love the truth of God's word. There are many people who know God's word. They know the truth of God's word. But they don't love. Because love will make you do some crazy things. Love don't ask how long, how much. No, no, no. Not real love. Real love says, is this what we need to do? Then this is what we need to do. And we're just going to lean in. And we're going to make this happen. Amen. you got to have a love for the word of God and the truth of God's word. Amen. And you can't, if if your faith about God's word and the truth of biblical salvation has not been challenged to date, I want you to buckle in because it will be challenged. Somebody's going to challenge you or something is going to challenge you about the essentiality of baptism in Jesus' name or the essentiality of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Something is going to try to jar you off of your foundation. That's where you better have your arms wrapped around the foot of that splinter cross and you better like David have your word, that word hid in my heart that I might not sin against you Lord hallelujah according to Romans 1 the lust of the flesh so to speak has placed them in a position for the Lord the Bible says to give them up to their vile affections or over to a reprobate mind that's found in Romans 1 you just keep pulling against the will of God pulling against the will of God and after a while God says if that's what you want then we'll let you have your will. According to 2 Thessalonians 2, 
a little bit different beginning, but the same end. Those that will not love the truth of God's word. The Bible says God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That said, either category here that we're talking about, these individuals will never have a desire to repent because they see nothing wrong with what they're doing. So now we're all the way back. Because if you don't repent, you can't be forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, you can't be saved. Amen. I realize that nobody brought milk toast with them to service today. <laughs> Been some pretty heavy preaching. But it's the truth of God's word. I remember the early battles that some people face when they tried to live for the Lord. People made fun of them for speaking in tongues. It's probably been quite a while since anybody in Pentecost has been made fun of for speaking in tongues because it's kind of been a embraced by the church world. When was the last time somebody got you in a headlock in the break room on your job and started calling you a holy roller? Because see, demonstrative worship, many areas of Christianity has kind of been embraced. Nobody makes fun of, people don't even think anything about people clapping their hands during the songs or lifting your hands in praise. Amen. Maybe there's some trace elements of that still around, but in some pockets of our nation, but for the most part, I'm going to be courageous enough to say most of that season has passed. What we're now dealing with is a generation of people that know just enough about God's word to be dangerous. Because they played church so long, they brought disgrace to God's grace. They live with this dangerous mindset that I'll just come back to church when I'm ready. But that's not how it works. Because it is not the will of man that draws man to God. It is the will of God, the spirit of God that draws man to God. As soon as I'm done living the way I want to live and, you know, I remember where the church is and I'll just show back up and the Lord will take me as I am and he is a gracious Savior and I'm not here to preach him anything less. But except the Lord draws you, you will not feel conviction. If the Lord doesn't draw you, you won't see a need to pray, a need to turn. That's why we can have a wonderful service, anointed singers, anointed musicians, anointed teachers, anointed preachers, and people get up and walk out. Because we can't do this. We can sing our best song, teach our best Bible lesson, and preach our best sermon. But unless the Spirit of God draws a man, amen, because you see, it's not the messenger and it's not the singer and it's not the song. What we need is the spirit to do the bidding when we come into this house. Amen. I, I know I have shared this several times through the years, but it, it sort of bears repeating. I'm talking about a preacher and preaching right now, but this could apply to many lessons or many really facets of ministry and many facets of us living in the, in the house of God of serving God. But I remember hearing this. It was told to be a true story. But a young man, he was asked to preach a special service one night. And so he went up so full of himself 
Bible under his arm, shoulder square. He had the message. Everything was going to be all right. And he got up there and absolutely blew it. I mean, he just, he just made the biggest mess that you could have ever seen. And when the service was over, he went walking off that platform. His head was low. His shoulders bowed. I mean, he didn't have anything to be proud about. And there was an elder that stopped him at the end of the back of the building. He said, son, if you would have went to the platform like you came down from the platform, you would have come down from the platform like you went to the platform. Amen. You hear me today? It's sometimes we can, we got this, Lord. We've got, we know exactly what key and what beat and we know this Bible lesson that we've studied inside out. We've got these verses committed to heart. We've done Sunday morning services for over 80 years. Amen. We've had church here. We know how to do this. Oh, we got this, Lord. The day we reach that mindset. Amen. We need to say, Lord, we're going to prepare and we're going to give our our best. We're going to do what we can but I'm going to tell you Lord if you don't go with us, if you don't go before us, if you don't touch the heart of man, I'm just going to be wasting my time in theirs. Praise God. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to offer our best in every service. Our praise and worship team is going to continue to practice and they're going to continue to perfect the old songs and teach us new ones. Our church ministries are going to continue to bring their best to our children and our youth. And our ministers are going to come into this pulpit but not before they have prayed and they have fasted and they have studied and they have spent time with God and they're going to present their very best. However, we must not fool ourselves into thinking that that's all it's going to take to pull a man or a woman out of sin. No. Amen. We're going to I have to have the spirit of God unless, in the Jesus said unless my father draw unless he draw unless there's a drawing you can't do this on your own you can't do it with your, on your own amen, I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and so that said to the church that said to the church let me reiterate a few things today not only to those that are here, but those joining us online who may be without the Holy Ghost this morning. Please, 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 don't think, don't let the devil convince you that you can sit back and write your own check. Don't be so casual as to think that you will come to God on your own terms. And be careful that you don't get so caught up in what you're doing that the Lord allows the spirit of this world to hold a greater affection in your heart than the spirit of that world. There's a lot of wonderful things in this world. There's a lot of fun things in this world. There's a lot of great things in this world. They're not even sinful things. But I don't even want those things to hold a greater affection in my heart than the things of that world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Amen. I'm just passing through. My wife and I are called on to do a lot of traveling these days. And I'm going to tell you, when we travel... What we decide before we leave home is what motel or hotel we're going to stay in and not what house we're going to buy. We're not looking at Zillow. We're just going to pass through. There's times we're not even there to merit the money we spend on the room. 
much less buying a home because this world is not our home. Amen, not our home. We just here for the night. Amen, Samson kept shopping. Delilah wasn't his first. He just kept shopping until in time, in the same pond he was fishing in, something caught his attention. Amen. I don't want God to harden my heart. Some have said, if I ever go back to church, I'm gonna go back to that apostolic church where I was baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost. But you see, sadly, too many times people never make it back because they got so entangled with things out there that they didn't have time for things in here. Amen. Consider, if you will, let's stand. Consider with me, if you will, something. I, I, I trust that I can say something right now that will not just be words for your ears, but I hope with the help of God to paint a mental image in your mind. When Lot was coming out of Sodom with his family, the Bible says the angels, Brother Trail, were there pulling them out. And the scripture says, remember Lot's wife. Don't take a long time to read that. Don't take a long time to quote that, but it does take a while to consider it. Remember Lot's wife. While angels held her hands, Sodom held her heart. Angels holding your hand. So it won't matter what has your hand. What's going to matter, sir? What's going to matter, ma'am, is what has your heart. Where are your affections? Amen. You see, the reason sometimes people never make it back to the life that God intended for them is because they believe a lie that we can come back on our own terms. And I'll do this when I'm ready. But this may not always be the case. I want you to think with me, if you will, Hebrews 12 and 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. So the writer of Hebrews goes all the way back to the book of beginnings. And he reaches into the life of a man by the name of Esau who said, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected and he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. I said, preacher, you're preaching a hard message today. The preacher's preaching the truth today. Truth. Esau failed to act on God's grace. This Genesis account. And then Hebrews refers to him as a profane man. I want you to hear me. It's already been said this morning about a long runway in closing, but please hear me. Don't dismiss on me yet. Amen. The word profane person means one who lives for the world and not God. You see, Esau despised his birthright, sold it to Jacob, and missed the blessing because it had been given to Jacob. Afterward, Esau tried to get Isaac to change his mind, but you see, it was too late. It was, it was too late. 
I know we don't want to hear this this morning. I know the world is not wanting to hear this this morning. Brother Osborne is talking about now. Now, today, right now. Not when I get around to it. Not in a convenient season, but now. Amen. You see, Esau today said, I want you to change your mind. It's too late. Esau, I can't change my mind. I've already laid my hand on the other hand. I've already given the blessing to somebody else. Amen. So what sins will rob us of enabling God's grace? These verses tell us the lack of spiritual diligence or bitterness against others or sexual immorality or living for the world and living for the flesh. Some people have the idea that when the writer of Hebrews called Esau a profane man, Sister Avis, that that meant he was vile or filthy. But you see, that would not really be an accurate description of Esau. The Bible talks about Esau being a good hunter. And so if he was a good hunter, that meant he was a good provider for his family. He was a good husband, a good father. He was, they didn't have to, kids didn't have to wonder what they were going to eat. He saw, he said, I'll take care of that. I got this covered. He was a man who loved his father. The scripture says that. So he was a family man. Esau was a family man. He, he, he loved those around him, had a great appreciation for those around him. Esau, I will just tell you today, from what I can find in scripture, Esau would have been a great neighbor. He would have been right there if your barn burned down. He would have been right there to help you. He would have been right there at your side. But you see, he just wasn't interested in the things of God. His priorities were wrong. And I'm gonna tell you, there's a lot of good people. Hey Amen, there's a lot of good people in your world. There's a lot of good people in your social circle. There's a lot of good people on your job. They pay their taxes. They wouldn't think a thing about taking a dime that wasn't theirs. Hey Amen, they would hand back a nickel too much to the cashier. Are you hearing me today? All those things are wonderful. They provide for their families. They love their wives. They love their children. They do all those things. That's commendable. But I'm gonna tell you this morning, amen, if something's not drawing you to the house of God, it won't matter how good husband you are. It won't matter what a good wife you are. It won't matter. It won't matter how great those things are. Amen. We need to put God at the top of that list. I didn't know what you were preaching today. Amen. Not, we need to put God God at the top of that list and say, Lord, you're above my job. You're above my, you're, you're above my career. Oh Lord, you're above my education. Lord, you're above my dreams and my ambitions. Amen, I realize that if I get anywhere with you, it's gonna be your spirit that draws me. Hallelujah. Oh, 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 hallelujah. Amen. Can we just gather around this altar? Would you reassess who you are? Would you reassess where you are? Amen. You say, I'm not a sinner. Amen. I haven't been out drinking. I haven't been unfaithful to my wife. I haven't been unfaithful to my husband. I haven't been unfaithful to my children. Amen. All of those things may be true, but do you love him? Do you love him more than your next breath? Amen. Is his word is his word. Amen. That grounding rod in your heart, in your laugh, in your life. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. 
Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.